You're listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series on the Bridge the Gap Network. The live webinar series aims to promote, engage, and empower wellness directors and senior living executives to continue the conversations surrounding health and wellness in aging adults. Powered by Linked Senior. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to today's Activity Strong Executive Edition. Before I get started, I'd like to share with you uh, two things. One is, I don't know about you, but it's been a long year, really long year. And I think that we all have mentally, and James and Josh, I'd love to hear yours when we get to talk. I think we all have mentally this placeholder in our head when everything started, right? COVID started. And for me, I, I just want to share with you that for me, it kind of started a little bit more than a year ago on February 26th because it was my last visit in a senior community. It was actually Cherrydale Health and Rehab just in Virginia because I live in DC, which is part of Medical Facilities of America. So if, if any of you are part of Medical Facilities of America on this call, you know, shout out, and to all of you, I'm sure you understand that it's been kind of interesting for all of us on the quote unquote outside because I truly miss not being part of a, uh, you know, not visiting a community, not getting a sense of how things are. And uh, hopefully things are improving for all of you. The other mention that I wanted to share with you is that today is a activity strong webinar. It's also an executive additional webinar. And these are uh, extremely exciting webinars and opportunities for us because we get to partner with our uh, media partner, Bridge the Gap, which is today represented by Josh. Hey, Josh. And for us, it's a very interesting way to um, welcome everyone. Obviously, Activity Strong is about acknowledging, educating, and empowering activity and life enrichment directors but we also want to invite executive to the discussion. So if you are an executive, an executive such as an administrator, an executive director, or anyone else on an executive team, let me just thank you for your interest and share with you the fact that you just showing up today shows that activity and life enrichment matter. Right, and we all know they are beyond essential. So we're excited of these opportunities and we will continue throughout 2021 with our media partner, Bridge the Gap, to provide these education series. So today's is extremely exciting where we welcome uh, James Lee, who's the founder and owner of Bearwise Consulting. And we're gonna be talking about resonant engagement is the secret source of senior living. So let me briefly introduce James uh, to our audience. He is the founder and owner of Bearwise Consulting, a boutique consulting firm specializing in strategy and innovation consulting with its clients in the senior living space, right? There's really focus on the senior living space. 12 years of experience, and I'll let you read the rest of the bio here, but let me just share with you something that James shared with me which, which is the fact that one of his very first job when he started in senior living was as an activity professional. Is that right, James? That's right. 
So with us, we also have uh, Josh. Josh is a uh, welcome back to today's show. Uh, he uh, helped me uh, conduct our state of the resident engagement back in January. I'm sure you'll remember him and obviously myself. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I believe all people are cool. And I also believe that senior living is activity strong. Before we get started, uh, some of you might know that Link Senior is behind two extremely exciting initiatives in our space. One, uh, Old People Are Cool, which started actually five years ago now. And then in the wake of COVID, we started the Activity Strong um, platform to, again, acknowledge, educate, and empower you, the activity and life enrichment directors in the space. Quick word about Link Senior. We are a resident engagement platform for senior living, and our work is uh, has been published in a peer-reviewed journal. So we're very interested in taking engagement to the next level, uh, disrupting it, but in a very good way where we can um, take the benefits of measuring and improving so that, that we can see the impact on quality of life, clinical and financial outcomes. The last slide here, is a quick invitation to all of you, the audience, if you have any suggestions of speakers and or ideas, we always take these into account. And I want to say that most of these speakers uh, come from suggestions from the audience of some of our partners. So please uh, reach out. And as Megan mentioned, if you have any stories to share about the Shine Your Light, uh, a, a celebration that we did in partnership with Timeslips, please be in touch. So that's with my introduction. Uh, James, I'll leave it up to you and just let me know when you want me to change slides. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Charles. And uh, thanks for inviting me to be a part of this conversation here. Um, uh, you know, I, I won't go too far into my professional history. If you're interested in that, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions at the end. Uh, but I'm really uh, excited about diving straight into the topic here. The quick preface I'll say is that uh, Charles is right. One of my earlier jobs in uh, senior living was as an activities director. The title at the time was called Lifestyles Director. It's one of the hundreds of iterations of uh, the, the, the name of this title. And I think we're still really trying to get it right. Some people call it activities, resident engagement. Um, you know, it's, uh, but, but the job is the same. The job is um, to provide that fulfilling, purposeful experience for seniors who not just live in our communities, but are just part of our service ecosystem. Um, I tell people, I, and I, to this day, I still tell people when I go to communities that the hardest job I've had in senior living by far and away is the one I held in activities. Um, and I've been in, uh, I've been an executive director. I've had every job in sales you can think of in senior living, and I've had various um, senior uh, roles for, for organizations. And I will still tell you that the hardest job I had was in activities. Um, and the, and the second part I say to that is, it's the hardest job you'll have if you do it right. If you do it well, and if you do it to the full extent of what this uh, amazing role is meant to be, this will be the hardest and most rewarding job um, that, that you can have. So I have a profound respect for uh, all of you who are on this uh, webinar um, that, that also believe that this is a worthwhile position that we should invest in. So uh, Charles, let's go to the first slide here. Okay, um, there's only three slides here. I'm gonna do a quick intro of them and then come back to it. Um, and, and the goal of that is so that this is less presentational and more conversational. 
Um, this first slide here, you're, you know, as you're taking a look at this, uh, it occurs to me that in our industry, in the senior living or senior services industry, we get really in the weeds of the day-to-day -day business. We talk about sales, we talk about operational expenses, we talk about the day-to-day -day hustle of the work that, that we all have. Um, and we rarely get an opportunity to pull back a little bit and talk about what problem are we solving in the first place? So this, um, this is my attempt to, to kind of gear that conversation back, back up to the 30,000 foot view and talk about what problem are we as an industry addressing? And I can tell you, it's not housing. Um, it's not specific to just care. It's not specific to even activities. There's a bigger, I think, problem set that our audience is trying to solve for themselves. Um, and, and this is my attempt at that. Um, so this is a little human psychology kind of leading into it, which is what are the needs of seniors? And the, it shouldn't have to be said, but let's say it anyway, seniors have exactly the same needs as any other adult group. There is no distinction here. Uh, there's no retirement of needs uh, once you hit a magical age. Your desire for belonging and inclusion um, and purposefulness, it's all still there. Uh, so um, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, that's the image that's on the slide here. Um, and it basically asserts that, you know, from beginning to top, that once your base needs are taken care of, you advance to the next stage. So we'll come back to this. Josh, Charles, and I will talk about this a little bit uh, on the premise of what problem are we solving in the first place? And as we go, I'd love for you to engage with us. So if you have questions, uh, if you have something to say uh, about these topics, we'd love to engage with you on that and not just talk with the three of us. Uh, so we'll come back to this, Charles. Let's advance to the next slide here. A lot of content here, uh, but basically uh, this is just an attempt to convey how we're actually solving that problem today. Um, so resident engagement, the way that you, all of us on this call, uh, on this webinar might describe it as, um, you know, it's not just the social things that we do. If you look back on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, you know, a full, complete human being, the holistic needs of any adult um, are beyond just food and water and shelter and care, um, their respect, their esteem, their, um, the things of being the best version of myself that I can be. And that quest doesn't retire at, at a certain age. You always feel like that. And I think all of us on this webinar would probably agree that when you interact with residents, um, they are still searching and, and pursuing the best version of themselves. If you look at the pie chart here, this is not a scientific pie chart, but it's really meant to visually represent to you um, how our industry currently allocates funds to, to taking care of that full holistic person. So in other words, uh, get this, um, a, a recent study by Statista um, says that the average American adult spends $3,050 per year just on entertainment. On entertainment alone, we spend about $3,000 a year. Some of us may spend a little bit more looking at you, Josh, uh, and some of us may spend a little bit less. But in general, the average American spends 3000 bucks a year just for entertainment. Think about that in context of senior services. Um, many of you on this call, I believe, are professionals in the, in the resident engagement space. So you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here. 
but I, hypothetically, let's say that you have a monthly budget of $1,500 per year for a community of about 100 residents. If you do the math, this works out to $180 per resident per year. The normal adult spends $3,000 just on entertainment, and we allocate $180 for the entire year for the full range of human needs, not just the entertainment and social. So I think that if we're addressing the real problem, we got to take a look at how are we trying to solve for that right now? So this is kind of the the big slide, uh, which, which we can kind of come back to and, and speak to. Um, but let, let, let's go ahead and move on to the third and final slide, Charles, uh, and then we can go back to the beginning. Here are the consequences of us not getting this correct. Um, so these are all data points uh, that, that are collected from reputable sources. 43% of seniors report that they regularly feel lonely. This is not seniors in communities. This is not seniors living at home. This is the aggregate. 43% of older adults feel lonely on a regular basis. You keep moving that along to some of the other correlated uh, data points here. Um, and that if you, if you feel, if you report that you feel lonely uh, on a regular basis, you have a 45% increased risk of mortality. So um, the sources for this data, uh, it's on the slide here. So if you're interested in more of the science that went into this, um, I think these are some fascinating reads. But take a look at nearly half of seniors say that they feel lonely on a regular basis. And if you feel that, you have basically a 50% higher chance of dying earlier than somebody who doesn't feel lonely. To most of us on this call, that feels intuitive, but here's the data behind that. Uh, and, and if you're looking for a way to talk to your leadership team about the business impact of all of this, I think the next part is not just looking at the data behind loneliness and engagement, but what is the financial cost of not addressing those needs? So, you know, here's, here's one point, which is $6.7 billion spent annually attributed to social isolation for older adults. So that's the cost, right? That's not how much we are all, you know, literally spending. That's the economic value of how much time, how much resources we put into solving this problem just as a society. So take those three points together. The first slide being Maslow's hierarchy of needs, what a complete adult wants uh, out of their, their lives. You take a look at point number two, which is how we're currently solving for that as an industry. And you look at slide number three, which are the, the consequences of not getting that correct. So that's the premise of our conversation today. Um, I'm sure that a lot of you are feeling that kind of frustration to, to kind of leap up off of your seat and talk about this with us. And that's the point. Let's have an honest conversation about what do seniors really want out of engagement? Um, how are we addressing it? And what are the consequences of not getting that right? So Charles, let's, uh, let's head back to the first slide with that pyramid. And let's see if we can have a robust conversation around this. Sure, thanks a lot, James. Um, I'm happy to get started um, with, with one question, which is kind of the title of our presentation today. Uh, James, you know, like resident engagement being the secret source of senior yeah. living. We know for a fact that, you know, some providers, they do a fantastic job, but why do you believe that even in 2021, it's still a secret? Mm -hmm. What's your 
best guess at that question. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I made a LinkedIn post uh, to, was today or yesterday kind of along this topic. Um, and if I were to ask you, Charles, um, about supply and demand in senior living, and I ask you to describe supply, what is the supply in senior living that most people are going to point to? I guess the communities themselves. Yep. Right. Like the units. Yeah. Units. Right. Um, when I talk about, when most people talk about supply, they're talking about units. Um, but yeah. jump over to the demand side of that. What do seniors actually want? I can tell you they are not demanding units. They are not demanding apartments. They're not asking for any of that. What they're asking for, what they're demanding is care. And care, I mean that in an umbrella term that incorporates resident engagement. And really, from my point of view, resident engagement is the better word than care because resident engagement is inclusive of care, but we don't always think that care is inclusive of resident engagement. You know what I mean? So when I say resident engagement, I don't mean like just the fun activities that we do in, in the communities. That's certainly a part of it, but that's maybe entertainment value. When I talk about resident engagement, I mean the entire uh, pyramid here. I, I mean uh, the drive for purpose, the drive for influence in the world around you. So if you think about that, the demand in senior living is actually care and engagement. The supply, the corresponding supply is not the apartment. It is care. And again, I'm using care as an umbrella term for caregivers, activity directors, maintenance directors. Um, so I mean resident engagement in all of the services that we provide, not the physical places where we provide them. So, James, I have a question. Yeah. Um, and it's just screaming off of this page at me, this slide. Um, and it's really in that first line, things that do not retire. Mm -hmm. um, I have witnessed as a senior living community manager, administrator for years, so many of these things that you've you've put into this formula, uh, mm -hmm. this pyramid here for us, which is a great visual. And it, it seems like so many things pivot at this term retire. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like um, that's something that in our culture here in America that we really long for this this idea of retirement. Right. And it seems like so many, that's a wonderful thing. I think we, we all kind of, as we're, I'm saying this, we aspire to mm -hmm. retire and, and retire well, but it seems mm -hmm. like so many things that we take with us to that date of retirement are loosed from us at that day. You know, whether it's our right. job that we identified as our, our, as a purpose, all these meaningful things that we were doing, they seem to often, too often, get lost in mm -hmm. that retirement process. And and then we see kind of a decline in our senior living communities because maybe it's a sense of purpose and all these different things in this pyramid. Mm -hmm. But my question is, and, and not to put anybody on the spot because we didn't talk about any of this before the show, Yeah. Um, where did the, the the concept of retirement come from? Is that just a an Americanized thing mm. that's kind of fueling some of this? Charles, do you or James have any uh, ideas on that? I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce that over to Charles for a second while I think on this amazing question. So I'm gonna buy <laughs> myself a few minutes uh, by giving Charles the the platform for a minute. I have no idea to be honest where this term <laughs> retirement comes from. Um, 
I think it, 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 I mean, if I have to do a best guess, and, and uh, I would say that it comes with the fact that our population has been aging more and more since the industrial revolution, right? And maybe it had to do with the fact that some of the very uh, physical uh, demanding jobs cannot be done after a certain age. But that would be, that would be my best guess. Yeah. You know, Josh, I, I uh, you know, for me, I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, this, this, this age that we have for quote-unquote retirement, uh, we're supposed to drop half of what we're doing and kind of not know what to do else, right? Like this quote-unquote retirement is supposed to be a, a moment in life where, you know, we get things taken off or away from us and then we, they, they're not be re, being replaced. And, you know, we all know that this is wrong. Mm-hmm. We all know that this idea of the fact that we are perpetually, perpetually uh, reinventing ourselves, right, throughout our lives, and that actually starts when you're a kid, right? And um, you know, I, uh, I think we all know uh, Lynn Katzman, uh, you know, the CEO and co-founder of Juniper Communities, and she, you know, I saw her speak one day, and she had this amazing thought, which is, you know, in America. In our cult, in, our, in the American culture, one of the moments of most intense freedom is when you get to your college campus, right, like at university. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Why can that not be when we move to a senior community? Like, what is preventing us as a society to celebrate life and freedom and kind of this thirst for more stuff, right, new stuff?" as we did when we were uh, younger. And so I love this concept because if you think about it that way, then that helps us remove all the barriers, all the things that are in our way, including ageism, right? Yeah. So that's a quick attempt to, oh, yeah. I love that, Charles. And so that, you, I think you just reiterated kind of the point I was trying to get to where I think in our culture, we have so baked into the idea of the retirement that we're kind of done yeah. at that age. And and it's really, an, it should be a celebration. I love the way you put that where now all of our life experiences uh, for good and for bad, all of those, those learning experiences are now at a point where hopefully we have some level of a new level of freedom and a new platform, so to speak, to where, you know, that wealth of knowledge can be, passed Mm -mm. uh around and and so much good can be done so uh thank you for for taking my um sideball uh question there uh you guys that james do you have any other thoughts yeah sorry just one quick thing somebody in the chat quickly answered that it was an a it was at a time when we had a high unemployment and it was to leave room for the younger generation so Hmm. a retirement was made a a uh, a requirement between sixty five and the age seventy, so and then oh. a lot of people are adding to that. So sorry, go ahead, uh, Josh, with your question for James. Well, no, I was just going to say thank you to the chat room. Yeah, and for sure. If that was, if you just whoever said that, if you knew that without having to Google it, I, like I wish we could give you bonus <laughs> points amazing. right now. That is amazing. I think that's another practical example to go into. We won't chase this this rabbit, but that goes. Uh, that was obviously a very probably great idea for that time. 
that has probably gotten a little bit twisted and uh, Americanized yeah. in such a way that, you, you know, it, it's not as beneficial as it used to be in some ways. But, um, yeah. oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think to, to kind of fur- further this conversation, um, so much of what we do here uh, in America, if you look at this pyramid here of what gives us a sense of belonging, what gives us a sense of esteem, a lot of us wrap that into our professions, into our jobs. And so when you retire from that job, you are also inadvertently retiring that kind of uh, that, that sense of belonging and that esteem that came along with it. So I think, you know, the, the goal here for us um, and, and really a, a commentary of why senior living, I think, resonates with us so much is that it's not about taking care of seniors. It's about taking care of ourselves. It's about taking care of just society and the family unit. So I think that, you know, the, the goal for us is to retire, to live the way that we want to retire, right? So that when you stop working, you're not putting up on the shelf the belonging and esteem and all of those things that kind of got wrapped up with it. Um, and I think that kind of takes us to where we might be missing the value proposition now is that we are replacing or we're attempting to to kind of fill that void of belonging, esteem, and self-actualization with just activities or things to do, uh, which is not to say that those are, those are bad. But, um, you know, Josh, I remember the very first conversation I had with you, uh, this was back at Argenum a few years ago. Um, one of the things that came up from that was I was an executive director at the time, and I think one of the best resident engagement just uh, case studies we had was one of our residents wanted to work. He wanted to go find a job. So we were actually helping him to craft his resume um, and talk to people. And that's what I mean. I, it just happens to be that that's about work. But, but the core concept there about helping this person to um, find purpose um, and, and keep driving it forward, that's what we're all talking about. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great point. And um, I know you and I have had a lot of conversations as have me and Charles about helping the residents to um, live their purpose. And oftentimes, I think we kind of say it the wrong wrong way. Mm-hmm. I've even been guilty. We'll say we help help our residents find uh, purpose or give right. them purpose. Well, they've already got the purpose. That's right. um, a lot of times, it's, it's just us. Uh, enabling each other and reminding them mm-hmm. that they do have purpose and then assisting them to fulfill their purpose. That's right. Um, and to your earlier points, um, again, back to the whole retirement thing, if you look at, uh, as Charles said, all these different life events, how many times have we heard somebody say, oh my gosh, the the empty nesters mm-hmm. syndrome mm-hmm. or or they're having a midlife crisis because there's these moments when your identity is so wrapped up in something else. I kind of refer to it as the identity box. Yeah. It's something that we've assigned our our value to something um, that that can be taken away. Yeah. And of course, our purpose can't ever be taken away from us. Uh, That's right. So it's really cool. I had a I had a conversation with somebody last week that really helped me elevate my perspective of the word purpose. We use that word purpose a lot uh, in our profession or our um, industry. Um, and so I was having a conversation. Um, I, I'm sure she wouldn't mind my sharing. Uh, she's She doesn't identify as senior. She doesn't uh, like the label. I understand that too. Um, but I think, you know, she, I think she referred to herself as an older adult in her um, 
uh, early 70s. And we got to talking about purpose. And this, this insight came through that conversation, which is what gives you a sense of purpose? Meaning, how do you know that something is purposeful? And where we, where we arrived at is that it's not just something to do or something that you like to do. Purpose is tied to influence. You have the ability to influence the things that you love. So, you know, with work, I, if I don't feel that I influence my work environment, I don't feel purpose in that job. Um, if I don't feel that I have influence over my faith community, you know, if I'm just a person who sits there and listens to somebody and I can't influence my community, I don't feel purpose. So try to find anything that, that you have purpose in that where you don't exert some kind of influence. And, I, and, and it just clicked for me that when we use the word purpose, most of us incorrectly mean, let me give you something to do or something that you enjoy doing. Um, but purpose has to be tied to influence. And I think that's the thing that more older adults are feeling is not a loss of purpose, but it's a loss of the ability to influence the things that they care about. Oh, wow. That's good stuff. Um, so I, I've got another question. I, I feel like this is my lucky day. I get to sit here and just hammer James Lee on <laughs> yeah. my questions. Let's do it. I'm going to roll up my... I didn't even bring sleeves. They're pre-rolled up, so I'm ready for that. Well, so we're talking about, you know, what problem are we trying to solve? And I think for a lot... I'm going to just put on my operator hat for yeah. a minute. We're constantly trying to measure things, right? Because... If we can measure something, we feel like then we can quantify it and then mm -hmm. we can somehow improve on it. Right. So when you start, you know, throwing out things like self-actualization, esteem, love and belonging, mm -hmm. safety, all these things in this pyramid that, you know, tells us if we are actually meeting these needs of the resident then we're we, we're we're achieving something, right? We're, right we're solving some problems. Well, then my mind immediately goes, "How in the world do I quantify this?" Because I think I've fallen into with many of our activity professionals in our communities through the years, um, self-admitting. Yeah, we we try to measure things that I don't think give us any indication of these things. We we right. try to measure things like. How many attended this activity? Yeah. You know, um, what did this little survey feedback score say? Do you have any insight on how these things that seem to me mm. very like hard to quantify, how do we get a measure to know that if we're trying to do these, that we're, we're, we're doing better? Totally. Absolutely. Um, I, and I think, you know, uh, if you, I, I don't know if I have an insight. I have a, I have a theory and maybe we'll arrive at an insight together. Um, if you think about anything truly quantitative um, here, I, I'll do this. Give me something that you feel is a hard, hard and cold quantitative fact that we measure in senior living. Just give me an example. Average length of stay. Average length of stay. Okay. So you can record somebody who is in your community and you record when somebody leaves the community. Okay. Um, that, but if you think about how somebody, if I tell you two data points, there was a resident who lived with you for 365 days. There was a resident who lived with you for 180 days. Which was the more productive person for your business? The longer one. Maybe. What if the Maybe. person who was with you for 180 days brought you three referrals? Mm, yeah. 
It's a good right? way to look at it. Yeah. The, da- the data doesn't matter as much as what is the insight or the thing behind the data. And if you think about that data point, right, the, the raw data of, of a year versus a half a year, um, of, of course, that's our trained response uh, of like, oh, longer means better, more revenue, all of that. But the data is not the insight. The question behind the data is the insight. So if, if I'm looking at um, measuring qualitative things and putting numerical value to it, think about um, companies right now, tech companies that have like a master algorithm. Uh, so Charles or Josh, can you think of a tech company that just has their algorithm down so pat that it's almost scary? Amazon. I Amazon. I bet most people were thinking Amazon when I said that. Amazon is so good at quantifying qualitative things. I have not once told Amazon, I like purchasing this or purchasing that. Here's my budget. Here are the life things going on in my life. But somehow, some way, Amazon always seems to put products kind of in my, in my view that are at least pretty close to what I want to uh, find. And so you, you talk about putting quantitative measures to qualitative things like what brings me enjoyment and what can help with relevant things in my life. Uh, Amazon is proof in the pudding that you can do something like that. Um, I, I, think the, I think the thing that we have to get to as an industry is who are the companies, who are the organizations that are trying to quantify qualitative things? And so resonant engagement to your earlier point about we can't just measure attendance because that gives me no insight. It's like the same thing about 365 days versus 180. The person who was fully engaged in activities 180 days out of the year may feel more fulfilled. They may feel more influential in their community. So it has uh, less to do with what you're recording and what questions are driving uh, the, that, that data in the first place. Well, I love that. And that probably ties into your last slide in some way to where our measures and the questions behind what we're measuring also tying to the cost. Because I, you know, I think one of the challenges that we face here is I'm going to make a big assumption and say that mm-hmm. everybody, all thousand of us that are listening and engaging here today in this chat room, yeah probably are like amening everything that you're saying right now. Like, I hope so. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, well, how, how do we begin? How, how do we begin to change mm-hmm. this, this narrative? Because we all know that the, the activity budgets are, are a tiny little line item in most. And so how do you begin to have those tough conversations with executives, um, yeah. mean old guys like Josh, mm-hmm. like how do you how how do how do how do we have those kind of conversations? <laughs> well, I, I I think the hope and the silver lining for that, Josh, is that um, I think the way through to any significant change is education, and education starts with having conversations like this. Um, I think about um, you know I can't really monitor the chats. This is a crazy chat room. Like I, I don't think I've been part of a webinar where I can't even keep up with comments because they're just scrolling past so fast. Um, but the some of the stuff I'm picking up here is about like that amening, like just people really engaged in this idea. Um, but also, I, I think I read a comment in here um, about that, uh, you know, these conversations are long overdue. Um, and so absolutely, they're long overdue. I think what we need are people uh, like us and in, in this community of people on this webinar 
to try and translate things so that all of the different stakeholders get it. Um, so within these three slides themselves, I, you know, I can um, relate to the activities person, I can relate to the executive director, and I could relate to the CEO just on these three slides is what is the problem set? How are we currently solving that? And then what are the consequences of us not getting it right? So I could certainly make a financial argument for um, if we improve resident engagement experiences um, and we have greater retention, we have less turnover, all of those things are going to be byproducts of a really thoughtful resident engagement uh, practice. So, you know, there's not an easy answer for this, Josh, but I think that it's um, we need a lot of translators. We need people in the middle who kind of see all of the perspectives and can translate it to the right audience, um, but but anchor it to something that we all believe, which is we want to make life better for seniors. So, Charles and and James, um, you know. If I'm understanding, and I think I am, this this idea, this approach um, to resident engagement being holistic, for for lack of a better term, you know, it, it encompasses everything. It's not just the entertainment, like you said, or it's right. not just this. If it's covering the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, that engagement, the purpose, all of that. Do you think that the way that the average, I would say the majority of organizational structures from the community up with having a, a department, a clearly defined department that is put right here with a small budget that's called life enrichment or activities mm -hmm. or assign whatever term we want to, do you think that is fundamentally setting us up for failure because we're trying to compartmentalize it so much? Either this is for any of you, any of you, and the chat room as well. I can I go, James? Yeah, for sure, Charles. My 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 fingers are like, oh, I want to answer that. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, Josh. You know, on your uh, on your podcast, Bridge the Gap, you interviewed somebody by the name of Hardy Kemp, and Hardy is fantastic in this field. You know, she's with a company called Sagely. But I think that she gets it pretty right, which is, unfortunately, almost zero senior living organization has somebody at the C-level that manages and, you know, spends most of his or her time on resident mm -hmm. engagement. So I think that's one issue. The other issue is, and this is, for me, a lesson learned on a, one of our past webinars where we had people living with dementia, and I think James, you alluded, you alluded that to, you alluded to that. You know, the the one sentence that I thought about after was the gentleman saying, "Nothing about us without us." Right. In other words, even if we live with dementia, even if we live with reason X, Y, Z, why are we not part of every single conversation about us? Mm -hmm. Right. Because right. that is the nature of person-centered care. And then the last thought, and then uh, I'll be quick on that one, is we have an amazing speaker uh, coming on April 6th. Uh, Josh, again, thanks to you and our partnership. You know, it's Jill. She's the CEO of Christian Living Communities. And she's going to be talking about this idea that historically, you know, our industry was very institutionalized. And then we moved to this customer service idea. And 
her thought is that that is flawed. It is flawed by nature because what resident wants is, like we said, to belong. And a way, the only way to belong is to invite them as citizens mm-hmm. of a community. So she's really thought perverting. And I love the concept of these are not clients of ours. They are citizens, active participants of our communities. And I, for me, this is just an aha moment, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we, we do have a transactional view, I think, sometimes of, of seniors as the end recipient of the products and services that we put together, but they have to be at the first part of that equation. Um, and, you know, and, and Josh, to, to, to get to your question about, um, you know, are we setting up our industry to fail when we allocate such a small budget to resident engagement? Um, you know, here... Here's uh, the, the simple answer I could say is yes, um, but that doesn't help us kind of find a solution to it. So I'll tell you how I'm trying to solve it. Um, resident engagement was the, uh, it was the, technically it was the third job I had in senior living. I was a caregiver and a concierge first, um, and then probably three to four months uh, after after that, I went into resident engagement. So it was really my entry into senior living, if I think about it. I still consider myself a resident engagement professional. Um, and it's almost like, you know, a, a, a wolf uh, in sheep's clothing. I'm a resident engagement person in an operator's clothing. Um, and so the way that I've chosen to solve this problem is let me go, let me infiltrate, you know, the senior living organization and let me rise the ranks or, or find my point of influence. And that's the thing here. I think that sometimes, and here, here's a little bit of just hard truth for us who feel very passionate about things uh, in our industry, but then try to solve it exactly the same way over and over again. Sometimes it's going to take us working the system and figuring out how do I get the thing done, but within the channels that are available to me. And so I didn't have Technically, I didn't really have an aspiration for let me go do sales or let me go do operations. Um, the end goal, the, 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 the passion, the fire, the love story that kind of sparked for senior living happened for me 12 years ago in resident engagement. I've had a whole bunch of other roles since then, but I'm still a resident engagement expert. And I think more of us have to kind of take on the operator's clothing, take on the salesperson's clothing and go exert our influence on the industry that way. You don't have to have resident engagement in your title to be a resident engagement advocate. Man, I love that. Um, so here's where I, I hope to jump to. I know we're running out of time because I'm yeah. asking so many darn questions. I'm sorry, Charles. I'm just like <laughs> taking good. over here. Um but I want to go back. So, you know, we're talking about the departments and, and how we can change that. And we're looking at what budgets are and talking financials and quantifying things. I, I really feel like um, our industry, um, aging services, you know, the pandemic really shined a spotlight on our industry. Um, and, and I know a lot of that was probably not great spotlight or, the, or at least the way we wanted it. Uh, to be on us and how we wanted it to come on mm-hmm. us. But I do think, you know, there's there's some great things coming out of that. And I think there's great conversations like what we're having today because I think uh, an extra focus has been put on. Now everybody, I think, realizes we've got to be talking about engaging our residents more, right? So like you said, 
solving the problem begins with the conversations. But I do really believe, especially when you're, you know, um, in in the business of taking care of people, you have to be able to talk with those stakeholders and communicate um, up the ladder, so to speak, in convincing ways. And, and this data that you've provided, I think, is is a great way to do that. We've spent some time on this slide, but mm-hmm. I, I I would like for you to could you unpack the the cost slide a little bit more, where you showed you know what's the cost of if we don't engage our residents a little right. bit more? Could you speak to that a little bit more? Sure, uh, Charles, would you mind moving to the next slide here? Sure. Okay. Um, I'll preface this by saying that uh, the way I look at costs, so I'm putting my executive director hat on, which is really a resident engagement person wearing an ED hat. Uh, And here's how I kind of look at expenses. Most people look at it as how do you minimize your expenses? How do you keep your expenses down so that you can increase your profit margin? That's a very simplistic look at revenue and expenses. I uh, used to coach to my team, let's optimize our expenses. Expenses are really just an investment. It's just a dollar that we spend to solve a problem. So if we optimize our expenses, that means we have a different view of what those are. So we start looking at spending as a means to generate solutions. So this is how I would look at it in terms of this slide, is that what is the cost? What is the cost associated with the resident experience of loneliness, just to uh, stay on this topic? The solution has to have a better, a higher value than the cost, right? So um, I think talking about cost from this perspective starts to really help uh, investors and C-suite people to look at the market opportunity of that cost. So if I tell you that $6.7 billion are being spent uh, to solve isolation uh, issues for older adults, the operator, uh, the CEO, the the investor who's going to look at this is going to see that as, okay, whatever the solution is, there's a margin on that. So 6.7 is the cost. What is the potential revenue solution to address that need? So expenses and profit and all of that, honestly, it gets a bad rap because people, I think, are afraid of using that in a way that it serves our mission. So we got to get better at learning these things ourselves, the people on this call. We got to get better at using this language for us uh, rather than against us. You know, if I just may, because I was thinking about, James, about what you were saying, you know, the, the number of days within a community and to your point, you know, um, a day spent in a community also can bear different types of costs, right? We can sure. have less or more costs. And I don't know if you're aware of that, but the antipsychotic medication, which is often not used correctly, especially in dementia care, right? We have this big effort in skills, but also in memory care and in assisted living to reduce these drugs. I don't know if you both of you know how much it costs, right? The average prescription for antipsychotics ranges from $250 to $500 monthly per resident, right? Which in some cases, and I'm sure people can confirm this, could equate to the monthly budget for the whole place, right? For the whole community. So there's clearly a disconnect when you think about it from the cost perspective. It's just that the interests 
of the stakeholders are not aligned, and going back to you, James, your point, all of this starts with the discussion and us knowing about these facts, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my my hope in in having these conversations, I'm sure uh, most of you on the webinar are probably thinking, man, it'd be great if my CEO was on this call. Um, you know, and it's like sometimes there's this feeling of like we're just kind of preaching to the choir here. So here's really the outcome or the intent of this conversation is that it's not to preach to the choir and and make you say amen. It's to throw the gauntlet down and challenge you to be able to speak to all of these things yourself. Um, improve your own skills of advocacy, of negotiations. You know, these are the things that if you improve the skills around your passion, it's more likely that your passion is going to find footing somewhere. And so these conversations are not about, man, I wish the CEO would listen to this. These conversations are about how do I kind of level up my own skill sets here so that I can become a better advocate, a better steward for my mission uh, by improving the skill sets around me. So I think that's the challenge here. That's the goal. And um, if, if we can do that, we're going to create influence. I mean, it's the natural consequence of improving our skills is that we're going to have influence. Well, you know, I think right now we have some of the, what I refer to as the big mo on our side, because as we, as we've mentioned the spotlight where everybody's talking about resident engagement um, activities and analyzing, this is the perfect time Mm -hmm. for all of our listeners, all of those that are watching this right now, and all of those that will share this later. Yeah. Since thank goodness, Linked Senior and Activity Strong is recording this and will share this, so you can share it with your C-suite. Uh, if they weren't able to right. listen today, you'll have to be able to do that. But these conversations and James, what a what a phenomenal job I think you have done today to give a few tools to to slant the conversation in such a way to where it makes sense mm-hmm. uh, even in a in a business sense because yeah. let's face it uh, you know we can all have all the feel good conversations and believe this as much as we want but to bring about change we have to um, actually convince everyone yep. all of the stakeholders because uh, you know for on the real estate side of the business on the investor and the capital market side of the business those are all players that whether we like it or not they're influencing every single one of us in every single community yep. and so everyone has to be aligned um, with better resident engagement. And I think these tools and these conversation pieces are, are phenomenal places to start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's uh that that's the mission here for us. Right. And if uh, we, we rarely convince other people from our own soapbox, you know, we have to join them on their platform. So um, I think, you know, those investors and the capital markets of, of how they influence senior living, you know, we can sit here and stew about it and get upset about, you know, where money comes in and money goes out, or we can increase our skills and our uh, financial literacy around that and then go convince them otherwise. If you don't know what internal rate of return is, Google it, look it up, and then figure out how do I make my point, but in the language of the people who are going to make the changes in uh, in our industry. So, you know, put on your, sh- your, 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 your wolf's clothing, whatever that is, um, and you know, let's go do this thing. You know, it's funny, James, because we, uh, I was speaking to a, uh, to a life enrichment director last week 
and believe it or not, she's part of a chain, um, and she was getting a training session on um, net operating income, NOI. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so, I mean, obviously, you know, probably the reason behind it also is that the company is trying to educate their staff to be budget conscious, especially these days with lower occupancy. But I also thought, wow, that is cool. I've never heard of an activity director kind of getting tools to mm-hmm. understand the business side of things. So I, that is spot on to what you were saying and, and uh, kudos to you for thinking that way. We're kind of coming up to the uh, our mark. You know, James and or Josh, both of you, I'd love to hear your thoughts on going forward. You know, James, your comment about being educated is one, but what else can we be thinking about to mature the conversation, mature line of work? Yeah. Um, I, I'll leave a kind of a little tip here on, again, this is not preaching. This is, this is how I'm trying to solve this problem myself. Um, I think that LinkedIn is a very underutilized um, platform uh, that, you know, I, I've met, basically, I've met both of you through that platform. I've met so many great people through that platform. And if you think about uh, why we got connected in the first place, it's because we're having honest, authentic conversations, Right. Um, so what we have to do is find a community of people, talk about things that maybe make us a little bit uncomfortable, but stretch us beyond our skill sets. And we have to keep asking ourselves, um, how do I affect change and how do I bring the skill sets around me to go and affect that change? So it's got to stop. Um, so we can't just stop at um starting a conversation, it has to reveal some insight about our ability to go create that change. And so I would say, um, you know, don't think of LinkedIn or any other a similar platform as a, like a job search platform. I, I haven't gotten a job off of LinkedIn yet, but I've been on that platform and I engage with people who spark these thoughts, who spark these conversations. So whether it's a podcast or a, a blog or just put your own content out there and figure out where, what's your crossroads of what you believe and what other people are frustrated about, and then go create your solution from that. So um, I'm on there. You know, I, I, I want to engage with you. If you've, if, if you're like, if your brain is cycling right now with lots of questions and uh, you know, things that you want to talk about, come find me, come, come find us and let's keep the conversation going. I appreciate the platform to, to join you guys, by the way, this was, this was a lot of fun. Fantastic. Thanks so much, James. And to your point, here's your email. Anyone on the line, please feel free to contact James to continue this discussion and join him on LinkedIn. Um, Josh, any final thoughts on this? You know, um, I I just love this. I I love keeping up with the chat here. Very thankful to everybody that's been part. I would just encourage everybody to be the influence. I think a lot of times, um, you know, we get we get um, kind of beat down, we get depressed, and that can turn into negativity. I would say every single person that has attended and listened or will listen has a certain amount of influence and a certain amount of influence potential that is far beyond what they recognize. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a leader, and um, it's. I would say it's always easier to attract people to positivity rather than negativity. So if we're wanting to change things, 
I think the way that we phrase things and the way that we um, approach problems with our leadership and with those around us is to come at it with a positive angle mm-hmm. and not be so critical especially without having an offering solutions. So if we can kind of um, say, how can I, how can we, how can we be part of this solution and start bringing solutions to the table rather than just saying, this is a problem, this is a problem. I think we're all to the point now we know it's a problem. And (laughs) the good thing is the conversations have started. There's at least a thousand people on here today that are cheerleaders for the cause. So I am really excited for the future of senior housing for sure. Well said, man. Yeah, very well said. Thanks a lot, Josh, for these closing words. Both of you, thank you for your time. Anyone on the audience, feel free to contact us. Here are Josh and James' email as always. You know, a pleasure to have you both. I'll uh, I'll close this webinar today with just a very quick few announcements, which is that um, we are partnering, the Activity Strong Initiative, sorry, is partnering under the leadership of uh, Rochelle Blau on quarterly life enrichment roundtables. And uh, Megan, if you don't mind dropping the, uh, we have a Zoom webinar link So the next one is actually in two days, and we already have quite a few people. The whole idea is just to connect on Zoom. It's to have a conversation and share best practices. That's announcement number one. Announcement number two is as we continue uh, to build activities strong, and again, Josh and Bridge the Gap, thank you very much for being our media uh, partner. You know, we are continuing these professional editions and these executive editions. I want to point out that uh, the next webinar we have is um, Nancy Ewald, and I'm so excited because uh, she's, as you might know, the founder of Activity Connection, and her session is going to be awesome, all about humor, but in a very kind of serious and professional manner, obviously. Um, One of the main points for me of today's presentation is how can we invite other stakeholders? And so I want to share with everybody on the line that the executive edition is our way to do this very proactively. And I want to point out that registration is open for our June summit. We've almost completed the sessions. We'll be announcing that soon. But one of the things that we are extremely excited about is that a third of the presentations are going to be led with people living with dementia and residents. We are also going to have a session focused on the C-Street and other very exciting things. And so to support a lot of these new undertakings, we've completely uh, redesigned our upcoming webinar page on our website and including our activitiesstrong.com uh, website. So with that, thanks everyone. James and Josh, I'll see you, if nowhere else, on LinkedIn. And everyone on the line, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for the fantastic work that you do. And take care, you all. Thanks for listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series powered by Linked Senior. Find more resources and webinar information at btgvoice.com.